The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. A Trump administration deregulatory priority will take effect on January 1st as two regulators ease the Volcker Rule's controversial ban on banks making speculative investments. It's called Volcker 2.0. Joining me is Robert Hockett, a professor at Cornell Law School. Bob, tell us about the biggest changes that were approved with this new rule. Hi, June. Yeah, uh, so the principal change, I think the one that is most, maybe most welcome uh, on the part of the bank, uh, is a change uh, in the presumption that was part of the Volcker rule before. So previously, the presumption was that you were, if you were engaging in short-term trading, it was probably speculative rather than hedging, and it was up to you to rebut that presumption, right? so basically to prove that you were innocent, so to speak, or that you were merely hedging, in other words, rather than speculating. Uh, that presumption uh, will go by the wayside now, and I think that that's probably going to elicit the, the, the greatest sort of sigh of relief on the part of the banks. How much of a victory is this for the banks? It, it's, sort of, it, it's easy to overstate the degree of the victory, but, um, but it's to some extent going to determine, I mean, it's, it's going to sort of depend on what, uh, what, what the actual cause of the sort of cutback in proprietary trading over the last few years has been, right? So as you know, the proprietary trading books of the larger banks are much smaller than they were before Volcker went into effect. But there's some sort of uh, uncertainty, I guess we would say, uh, as to whether the Volcker rule itself was the reason for that or whether there are other reasons that sound more in sort of changes in the industry. If it's the latter, then the change in Volcker isn't going to make much difference. If, on the other hand, the Volcker rule itself was an important part of that story, well, then, of course, it could bring about uh, a, a, an upsurge in proprietary trading of a kind that was quite common, of course, before 2008. One Democratic FDIC board member warned that the rollback could again endanger the financial system by allowing lenders to recklessly trade hundreds of billions of dollars in risky assets as they did before the 2008 financial crisis. Do you mm -hmm. agree with mm -hmm. that? Well, I understand where Mr. Grunberg's coming from on that, but again, whether he's right or not sort of depends, again, on what the cause of the decline in proprietary trading since 2013 has been. If, again, that was owing to the Volcker rule itself, then he could very well be right. If, on the other hand, there have just been changes in the industry that make proprietary, proprietary trading less attractive than it used to be, then it might very well be that his alarm is not quite as justified. Do, does the new rule give lenders... A a better picture of what trades are prohibited? I think it resolves a certain kind of uncertainty on their part. Right? I think, and it's not so much an uncertainty as to whether you know, their trades are proprietary or not, because they would actually, I'm sorry, whether the trades are speculative or not, because ultimately they know that. But what it does do is I think it resolves some uncertainty that they would be experiencing as to whether the regulators would be likely to find that to be the case or not. 
And in that sense, it does resolve an uncertainty that's probably helpful to them. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. And what about compliance costs? Will this ease some of the compliance costs? It should make compliance a little bit less costly uh, because you're not as concerned with proving what your motives were uh, in engaging the particular trades that you were engaging in. In other words, the fact that the presumption of guilt, so to speak, is being removed itself makes it easier to comply because you don't have to do as much proving as you would otherwise have had to do. And um, do you anticipate that there might there will be more increased investments for the banks? I'm a little skeptical about that, June, but it's because I really don't think that the degree of additional liquidity that comes through proprietary trading of the kinds that the banks do really makes that much difference to the actual investing that they do. It makes a difference to the trading that they do, but trading is a secondary market activity, of course, and investing is a somewhat different sort of operation. And I'm actually skeptical that the uh, sort of additional degree of liquidity that might be provided by the additional degree of trading that might be engaged in is going to make any serious difference to the amount of investing. I think the amount of investing ultimately rides on what the prospects of adding value to the primary economy uh, are. And, you know, that's really a matter of the real economy rather than the financial economy. So then you think that it's sort of the the complaints about this from some regulators are, are overblown? I think they probably are overblown. Um, I think the complaints about the rule being in existence at all were very much overblown. But I also think that the complaints about easing up on the rule are overblown. Basically, this is a so-called this is a form of so-called smart regulation that you know tends to be sort of too clever by half. I think those who sort of propound things like this, rather than more kind of bright line rules like the Glass Steagall um, Act used to have in place, um, you know, the, the, the claims on behalf of rules like this are always overblown. But at the same time, I think the complaints about them uh, tend to be overblown as well. So I think in many ways it's sort of a tempest in a teapot. I mean, I know a lot of money is at stake, a lot of profiting is at stake, but when it comes to actual, you know, productive activity in the real economy. I don't think any of this makes that much difference one way or the other. Well, <laughs> I, I suppose <laughs> the Trump administration has been has been focused on this, or at least uh, the regulators have. There are some other Wall Street rules that are awaiting revision, so to speak. Let's talk mm-hmm. about those a little bit. Sure, sure. So you know, one um, one uh, another kind of top of the lister, you might say, uh, has to do uh, with the stress testing of banks, you know, under the Fed stress test regime. Uh, That was another one of the sort of hallmarks of the post-crash reforms uh, during the early Obama years. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about whether the banks should be sort of given more guidance in advance as to what actually is going to be tested for, right? Those who think it's a good idea to allow for that, say, again, just like they say in connection with Volcker now, that it would afford more certainty to the banks. The banks would have less uncertainty and compliance would be easier. On the other hand, uh, the counter argument is that, you know, they, you know, the old bit about people teaching to the test, you know, if people know in advance what sorts of questions are going to be on the test, then they can kind of game the system, as it were, to make sure that they pass. 
Um, and so it might well be that the fundamentals are not as sound as they look um, when uh, banks pass their stress tests, if it's possible for them basically to kind of, again, game the system once they know what the questions are going to be. So um, we look to be likely to see some significant changes on the stress te- in the stress testing regime very soon. And I actually think that could be potentially more momentous than the changes in Volcker. Really? Well, that'll be interesting. We'll talk about it again then, I'm sure, Bob. Thanks so much. That's Robert Hockett of Cornell Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.